Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. For the next eight weeks, the Rewatchables will be covering eight films that are incredibly rewatchable despite having one major flaw. So far, we've covered the movie Higher Learning, and this Wednesday, Bill Simmons, Chris Ryan, and Ryan Russillo are talking about the 1985 wrestling classic Vision Quest. So make sure and check out the flawed Rewatchables on the Rewatchables feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Pod Has Spoken, the Ringer's Survivor Recap Podcast. I'm Riley McAtee, I'm your host, and every Thursday I'll be here on the Ringer Dish feed to recap the latest episode of Survivor. Each episode I'll be accompanied by a different Ringer staffer, and today joining me in the studio is someone who would never tell Boston Rob that his plan is to vote out poverty. It's Sean Fennessy. Come on in, Riley! <laughs> you also, you know, I could have gone with, it's our the Ringer's version of Jeff Probst, oh, man. and I almost did, and that would have been so perfect Is that, that accurate? Am I our Probst? I think you're the closest that we have, yes. Oh, wow. Okay, I appreciate that. I have complicated feelings about Probst, though I do think he is by far the very best at what he does. I think he's very, very good at things he's great at, and then there are certain things where, yeah, I, I have little nitpicks as well. But overall, I give a solid A grade to Probst. Well, then I'm honored to be called as such. All right, today we are breaking down episode three of Winners at War. Sele lost another immunity challenge, and Ethan was tragically blindsided. Let's get started. We'll begin with our first segment, which is Tribal Council. All right, so this is for our instant reactions, our takeaways, basically just the meat on the bone for what we want to discuss for this episode. Let's start with Ethan. Was there anything he could have done differently, and why did he even go home? Because it sort of came out of nowhere. It did and it didn't. Obviously, the episode starts with Ethan being told by Adam that Adam is going to target Parvati. Uh, this seemed like a significant moment in the show, and then it was never addressed again. Yeah. And we're going to talk a lot about Adam, I suspect, on this episode and his strategy. But Ethan, who we've seen through the first couple of episodes, really seems to be a little over his skis in this new era of Survivor. Doesn't seem to be uh, a strategic dynamo. Doesn't seem to be somebody who realizes that you can't just form an alliance with two people and expect to dominate the game. And he, he could have done something that we later saw Boston Rob do, which is the minute he got a piece of information, he could have used it to his advantage. He could have blown up Adam's game. He could have gone to Boston Rob and Parvati and created a new strategy. He could have gone directly to Michelle or to Ben and, and cooked something up. I couldn't really figure out why he just decided to do nothing, or at least the edit showed us that he did nothing. I mean, what did, what did you make of the fact that they led the show with that and then nothing, went, nothing happened after it? I agree. I mean, I think that this entire episode was about Adam's screw-up. That was, or at least the major theme from the beginning to the end of the episode. I think even his arrogance. Yeah. One of the, the highlights of the episode was him beginning by saying that Boston Rob should play more like he does. <laughs> yeah, it's a very and sad then, moment in this episode. And then he got dunked on by basically every single player from there on out. That's true. I think that it was odd that Ethan didn't do anything with that piece of information, and it has been a major theme of the show so far that the old school players are seeing the game pass them by a little bit. Amber, her head was spinning in the premiere. Now, granted, she probably doesn't go home if she isn't connected with Boston Rob, so she was playing at a bit of a disadvantage. Danny completely blew up her own game on the last episode. She got so paranoid and went to everybody and actually did the same thing that Adam did a little bit, which is that she went to Boston Rob and was like, let's vote out poverty. And Rob was like, are you kidding me? Which makes it more inexplicable that that was Adam's plan after having potentially watched Danny do that. But Ethan, I do think that he was actually in a safe position or believed that he was. His name wasn't really being thrown out there. And it was a true blindside in that he wasn't like Parvati or Rob, where he was a big threat that should have been expecting his name to get written down. But we know from 20 years of the show that information is power. One thing that has crossed my mind as I've watched older players get picked off throughout the season, with the exception of Natalie, is I wonder if there is a lack of respect from young players for the older players, unless they're iconic. If you're iconic like Rob, then your reputation precedes you. They literally put Rob on the last season of the show as a mentor guru figure. He has a statue, as he Adam will statue. tell you 20 times in this episode. <laughs> exactly. Much to Rob's chagrin. But unless you're one of those players, unless you're Sandra, unless you're Rob, and you're, let's say you're Danny, 
whose season I didn't watch, one of the few seasons I didn't see, and I can't, I don't remember really anything about her. I wonder if Adam is similar. Adam is like a survivor guru who watches every season, but also a lot of time has passed since she last won. A lot of time has passed since Ethan played. So there's, there's probably less respect and less fear for those players. In addition to that, I'm not so sure that Ethan has been watching Survivor. I just don't get the impression that he really knows how to play the game anymore because his head being so twisted around by this, I could see the speed, and we've heard people like Michelle talk about the speed of the game now, even from when she played being faster. But just generally, tactically, if someone comes to you and says, let's say someone comes to you and says, Riley, we're, we're voting Megan Schuster out of the ringer. You've been sitting next to Megan Schuster for years. That's right. We're deskmates. You're deskmates. Would your reaction to that be like, I get it. She deserves to have her head chopped off. I don't know why you told me that was a mistake, but I get it. Probably the first person I would go to is Megan Schuster. Exactly. And I would say, hey, we need to do something. We're in trouble. Yes. I think that Ethan was trying to play an old school game in this new school era. You know, he picked his alliance and really stuck with them and he was loyal. That was the big thing for his game. And that can work. And I think it can still work on the modern era, but you also still need to be talking with people and strategizing. And we never got very much of that from him. We didn't. And, you know, it's too bad because I thought he brought a kind of conviviality, a jovial quality, and obviously has an inspirational story. And I, I was sad to see him go, but I also I have a lot of feelings about selecting him to go, which I think we'll get to probably later in the so show. So I do want to move to that, which is they did say that they wanted to weaken Rob. And so my question is, if you want to weaken Rob, why not vote out Rob? I, I, I don't understand. You know, there's a theory on The Bachelor that there are producers' picks, that the producers say to, yeah. the, to the lead contestant on the show, The Bachelor The Bachelorette, you have to keep this person on the show. And if you don't keep this person on the show, it's going to be bad for the show. You don't have to pick them at the end. Right. But you need to get to, to, to the fantasy suites. I've always been a little bit skeptical of that theory, but I also know a little bit about how television gets made. I've never thought that was a possibility on Survivor until this season. I have only watched a few seasons of The Bachelor, and 100%, I believe that the producers protect people because some of, some of the contestants that move along in that show, it makes no sense. Yes, and love other can be boring. Yeah, other than they're good for TV. Yes, I, 100%. This is a case where it makes no sense to me. No sense. Zero, zero sense that Boston Robin Parvati are still around. So I do not think that the producers meddle in Survivor. 100% categorically rejected. Okay. I believe that they uphold the sanctity. You're so pure. Game. Maybe I have to. <laughs> my, my theory for why they didn't want to vote out Rob is partially that they didn't want to blow up the game with Parvati and everything. But also is that Jeremy strongly suspects that advantages come from extinction. And therefore, he would have a good reason to believe that Rob would have one because Amber is on extinction. He has Jeremy has an advantage that he believes came from Natalie. He could believe that Rob has an idol that came from Amber. And Rob, being a player with such a huge target on his back, could play his idol at any tribal council. So perhaps that wasn't shown, but I would not be surprised if that was something that was considered. That's interesting. That hadn't crossed my mind. I think that's thoughtful. Unfortunately, he doesn't realize that Amber is also unsuccessful at existing on Edge of Extinction. It's very rough for it's, her. But she's not, things are not going well for Amber Natalie, though, killing it. Crushing it. Nevertheless, I still would have conspired to eliminate Rob. I still think to, because I think what a lot of people are doing, and you saw Adam doing it in this episode, you saw Adam trying to imagine a world in which he could play from behind Rob, in which Rob could be the stalking horse, and he could be a puppeteer behind the scenes with the expectation that people might actually keep powerful players around long-term with the expectation that they would never win. This is not a good strategy. It has never been a good strategy to play this way. Sometimes players would do it with very strong physical counterparts. In this case, Rob is such, not a chaos agent necessarily, but he plays fearlessly. Yes. And he plays definitively. The idea of letting someone like that stick around, the first thing that crossed my mind when I realized he wasn't going home in this episode is, what if they just flip tribes next episode? What if they just reshuffle, which we've seen them yeah. do time and again the last five years. If they just reshuffled and you've still got Rob on the board, that would be a bad position for Michelle, for Jeremy, for Adam, for all of those people who theoretically could have eliminated him three times in a row and have not. Yeah, I do believe the tribe swap is coming up either on this next episode or the one after. I do wonder if... Both Jeremy and Michelle see Rob and Parvati as shields for their game, kind of in the way that you're saying. You know, Jeremy actually is a Boston guy. He does play a game where he controls the game. That's kind of how he worked in Cambodia. And so Rob is sort of the souped-up player of Jeremy. It's not a quite one-to-one comparison, but you can kind of see the way that Jeremy would view Rob as a shield for him. And 
Parvati is in some ways the souped up version of Michelle. And so if they keep both of those around and they cut off Ethan, that does make a lot of sense where they're still not targeted in the game. It's true. And it's a very good point. My wife noticed the same thing about Jeremy, that Jeremy is essentially playing kind of a laid back game at the moment, even though he has a lot of advantages. We were marveling at the moment when Rob approached Michelle and Jeremy and said, look, I know the deal. Stop lying to me. And that was an incredible moment from Rob. Just just like it was brilliant gameplay that didn't totally work out in his favor. But I also just loved the approach. I loved the fearlessness that I was talking about. But Jeremy's reaction in the moment was he had a big smile on his face and he winked at Rob. And then he just said no. Yeah. And that was the, that was his gameplay. He didn't overextend. Michelle looked mortified. Yeah. She had no idea what to do. She was completely on the back foot. Jeremy has this weird confidence that I remember from his season. So you might be right. He may, he may be playing Rob as the shield ultimately. Yet it was Michelle that was the one that we saw going around doing all the strategy and getting all of the horses in line to ultimately boat out Ethan. It's true. I want to move on and talk about just the old schoolers going and how this is really disappointing to me. So Amber, Danny, and Ethan were the three players that we have waited over a decade for, really actually 15 years for, and they are the longest gaps uh, in between seasons on this season. So Amber and Ethan, they were last appeared in All-Stars, which was season eight. That aired in 2004. Danny played her one season, which was Guatemala, season 11, 2005. And Dude, this sucks. I really wanted to see these players again. Yeah. I mean, I think we're seeing, with respect to Amber, that she she just was not ready to do this. And that's understandable. She's had an entire life that's been happening. She's also been supporting Rob as he has been pursuing his continued dreams of appearing on Survivor many times yeah. in a row. There's an entire industry around Rob and Amber and their reality television work and everything that they're doing in Massachusetts. It's not shocking to me that she has struggled to succeed in the game. Danny, I thought... I couldn't figure out her motivations in the last episode because I thought the pivot in that premiere was so brilliant and mostly because of Rob, but also I thought she very wisely agreed to align herself and that could have been a meaningful group. And we talked about Ethan. Ethan's just a good vibe person, you know, like you, we, I just like watching him talk on television and that's a big part of the show. Usually I think that the good vibe person goes further in the game because Absolutely. they're non-threatening and they have really good social bonds. And that was something I talked about with Mallory on the last podcast episode of this show where we thought that Ethan was well-positioned. And then this is how Winners at War is. You can be in a good position and then get your head cut off in the next episode. We do find ourselves in a familiar position, though. Two of these three people that we're talking about came from the same tribe, and we have one tribe that is now significantly weaker than another tribe. Yeah. And so when you get into that position, what happens usually? The old people get voted off. And it's strange to call Amber the old person. She's not old by the typical constraints of Survivor when a 70-year-old, when Jimmy Johnson might get voted off the show. Right. <laughs> but she she is an older cast member, and and Ethan is obviously an older cast member, and these players don't typically survive as well as, as the young bucks. One of the things that's really interesting is I think that if Sele had won another immunity challenge before this, that would have forced to call the Red Tribe to put Sandra in that challenge. And I think that they lose that challenge if Sandra is in. I completely You're, agree. If you are the tribe that does not have Sandra, you really need that early numbers advantage so that they can't just sit her in challenge after challenge. It's a great point. It's, it's a significant turning point in a lot of ways in the game. And it's also been very fortunate for Sandra because now she gets to coast in a powerful tribe for weeks and weeks and continues to plot and get information. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about uh, Yule and, and some of... Yule's, the very little amount we saw of the other tribe in this episode and the decisions that were made there were kind of fascinating to me. Now, you're suggesting maybe Yule could be on the chopping block. Well, if you just think that the the players who have had the longest gaps in between their play, the next player up is Yule, who played on Cook Islands, which was 2006, and he hasn't played since. However, as we're saying, Yule is pulling all the strings, it, and it is incredible to watch, and I think that he is in a great position. He has a very paranoid and personally frustrated group of tribe mates, Sandra, Tony, Sarah, these are people that if you go to them and say, this person is targeting you, they, their response is not to calmly measure the after effects of such a thing. It's to react and say, I'm going to kill that person. Anybody yeah. who targets me is dead. They're not thinking about the fact that you could be working them. Now, long term, that strategy comes back to bite people. So Yule is playing a tried and true strategy but if ever we find a universe in which Sandra starts maybe chatting with Tyson one-on-one -on -one about what's going on, 
we might find that Ewell could be exposed fairly quickly. This is a new approach for him, I think, relative to his his win on Cook Islands. He is doing a good job of, we saw him trying to put together sort of the lone wolves on his tribe, which I thought was very smart. But yes, it's if people start comparing notes, they will say, who's actually in the power position on this tribe? It's not Sandra. It's not Tyson. It's probably Ewell. It's true. Uh, you know, he's already broken up the poker alliance. Yeah. He's already got... Sandra on the back foot. He's already got Tyson scrambling around camp like mad. I, you know, I don't know. It's it's an interesting approach that he's taking. We'll see if he stays as aggressive as he has been. Another thing that's really interesting about Yule to me is that he said on this episode that he doesn't want to work with erratic players, and yet he hasn't been targeting Tony yet, and I can't think of any player in maybe the history of Survivor who's more unreliable. It's true, although similar to the way that some maybe somebody like Jeremy sees Rob as a shield, maybe he sees Tony as a, you know, a distraction device, something that can let him operate in the shadows and accomplish what he wants to accomplish. We'll see. I also wanted to talk about Parvati's game. Michelle said she's playing a cutthroat game. She's out for blood. Obviously, she had that great quote about chewing up Adam's bones and spitting them out. Iconic. I love Parvati so much. She's been great, but she's losing allies left and right. You know, Rob and Ethan both said that Parvati is their number one. Ethan's now gone. Danny also had trust in Parvati until she was left out of a conversation and then, you know, blew up her game, self-destructed. So I'm nervous for Parvati going forward. How do you feel? I'm nervous too. But I want to ask you, do you think she's playing a cutthroat game? I mean, not really, not yet. I don't think that she's actually like pulled the trigger on anyone yet. Exactly. She tried to with Adam and it didn't happen. I think that's one of the the themes of this season is... There is the specter of someone's reputation, and then there is what actually happens. Rob, we have seen over and over again, is playing Rob's game. He is doing the thing that he does. Parvati, we know her to be a kind of a seductress, a very compelling person who is able to insinuate ideas into people's minds and get them to do exactly what she wants. That's her reputation. That's her iconography on the show. And she has chosen a more traditional path. She teamed up with two guys who she trusts, or veterans of the game, and she just hasn't really done anything. I mean, she's getting a lot of screen time because I think the Survivor crew loves Parvati and they love mythologizing Parvati for obvious reasons. But I, what, what, what is she doing? Yeah, I'm not. I, I mean, her game has in the past been a little bit old school in that she does pick an alliance. And she does not scramble. She's like Rob. What makes them a good pairing, I think, is that Rob and Parvati are both calm. When they hear their name gets thrown out or when something is not going to plan, they do not panic. And that has resulted in, so far this game, her just not being able to make the move yet. But I think it might be coming. It was interesting to watch the the moment when Rob was in testimonial after Adam had approached him. And he said, what are you thinking? You know, you've watched me on TV for years. You know, I don't play that way. You know, I don't backstab my alliance. Right. Which, uh, of course, we know about Rob, and that's what you're talking about. He and Parvati are the same way. But Parvati's reaction when she was told that Adam was gunning for her was very similar to the one that Sandra had when Ewell said that Tyson was gunning for her, which is like, I'm going to kill this guy. In theory, that makes sense, but I don't know that she effectively rallied the troops. I don't. She certainly didn't seem to be compelling Michelle or Jeremy or Ben or any of the people she was going to need. And is that because, do you think that's because her reputation precedes her? Or do you think it's because some, there, there's something she's not able to accomplish? There's something there that she's not able to do because the game continues to evolve past her. I really think that it came down to Michelle and Jeremy and by extension, Ben and Denise just had a better move on the table, yeah. which is that they could put both Rob and Parvati and Adam in their places and take control of the game by voting out Ethan. And they chose to do that. I agree. The latter point, especially the the sending Adam a message part of it seemed to be huge. And that was the best way to do that. I think that they realized, okay, we don't want to vote out Adam and and let Robin Parvati win this one and lose a number for a person who's theoretically still on our side. We don't want to, as Michelle said, vote out Parvati and rock the boat but we do want to take control. So we don't want to go with either side. So you know what? We're going to do our own thing. And I think that's really smart. They're now in a seven-person tribe, and they have four people who I think are pretty tight. Do you believe that that was the plan all along? It's something I always wonder about when I'm watching the show. When the scramble is happening, before everyone goes to tribal council, Yeah, and there's a conversation between one person and another person, they say, okay, so we're voting poverty. And then they cut to another conversation. They say, in this instance, it was, it was Ben who said, should we vote? Ethan? 
Was it Ethan that he suggested? Or he, was, it, was it Adam? No, he suggested so Adam right ben before Tribal. Su- yeah, Ben suggested Adam. And then the only thing we saw about Ethan was Jeremy and Michelle briefly were like, well, what about Ethan? Right. So personally, and that was how I knew it was going to be Ethan who was voted up, by the way. The fact that we got one mention of it. I suspected it too. I suspected it when we got that last quote from him at Tribal. He's like, I just got to make it through this vote. I was like, he's done. He's over. Yes. That, I mean, that was good survivor television, but it also was a clear signal about what was happening. But the thing I can't figure out is, I think it's safe to say you and I are very organized. We're planners. We like to know what we have in front of us. If I were playing Survivor, I would try to play methodically. I would try to play calmly like Rob. I would try to play strategically and make pointed moves. I would not be scrambling three minutes before the vote and saying, actually, should I change my vote to this? That is an aspect of the show. And I know that the show breeds paranoia, but that's an aspect of the show that I've always wondered about and what the shape of the edit is actually like in the room. I'd like to see an uncut hour-long moment from the hour once the the vote starts getting discussed all the way up to the walk to tribal council. That's one thing I would love to see on the cut from the cutting room floor. Yeah, I I would love to see that too. My sense is I think that most votes when they go to tribal council are pretty set and that they don't don't change at tribal council and that they don't even, that the scramble is probably a little bit of the edit. Like they probably all got together and said, Ethan's the vote, the four of them knew it. And then the other four did not know it clearly. But that there wasn't a big like, well, should we do this? Should we do that? Oh, I don't know. You know, like mm-hmm. tribals in five minutes. I don't think it happens like that. I think it's probably like an hour out. They're like, okay, Ethan's the plan. Release the tape, Survivor. You cowards. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that, I would love that. I also want to talk a little bit about the Takal tribe. We have not gotten much of them in the last two episodes because they're just winning immunity challenges, which is, you know, where you want to be, but then you don't get on television. And so far, the story they're telling that tribe is this Cops R Us reunion between Tony and Sarah. And somehow on Ash Wednesday, we have Tony spreading <laughs> ash all over Sarah's forehead yes. and her going on this stealth mission. It was incredible. Uh, it's fascinating. It leads me to believe that perhaps this alliance is not long for the world, that it's getting so much camera time at the moment. Um, Tony, as you mentioned, a combustible player, the kind of guy who could make one wrong move, nearly lost his hand to a shark in this episode. Yeah. That was fascinating. Sarah's an interesting player. I did not respect Sarah's gameplay all the way up until the moment that she won. And then after she won and I've been watching her, I'm like, wow, she's actually very good at this. And she really knows what she's doing. And I've been surprised by how much I've been swayed. She might be the the winner in the history of the show who I've come around the most on over the years from watching her play. Because in her first season, I thought she was absolutely terrible. I thought she was terrible at interpersonal relationships. I thought she had no sense of the game. I'm kind of shocked that she has become, if not an iconic character, like really one of the best liked and best known characters. So an insane thing that I did was after episode two, when Tony and Sarah kind of reunite, I went back and rewatched Kagayan. I watched the whole season. Really? Yeah, I just, they're so easy to get through these episodes and they're on Amazon Prime. And I, I, I literally finished it on Tuesday. That's why you're the host of this show. And Sarah really blew up her game at the merge there. She w- It was a 11-person merge and there was a, two groups of five and she was the one swing vote. She was basically so unreliable to both groups of five that she turned her position of power into a position of weakness and they voted her out. And I think she really learned on that because on Game Changers, she was absolutely dominant and dominant at playing the middle in a very subtle way. She she really learned a lot from her Kagayan experience. That said, having just rewatched Kagayan, I cannot believe that anyone would ever work with Tony because he just lied his ass off to everybody. He was so unreliable, so erratic. Even Sarah, I'm like, how are you still aligning with this guy? I know it's not like he betrayed her in Kagayan. She kind of like, created her own grave. But holy shit, Tony is like a madman. What's more important to you when you're watching the show? Is it great television? Is it the explosive moments? Is it Tony going totally rogue in every environment? Or is it great gameplay? My favorite moments are actually the the character moments. It's, the, it's like when they're sitting around the campfire, like at the very beginning of this episode, when Rob like uses the leaf to tickle Adam and they're kind of just all laughing and stuff. That's the stuff that actually gets me to care about who's going home and not. Mm. So that's sort of always the foundation of a good survivor season for me is do I care about the characters? How do you make me care about the characters? And it's always with those moments. It's not like, oh, I ran and found an idol. Like that's great, but anyone can do that. It's interesting you say that too. And I think we agree that thus far, this has been a very, very good season, if not an incredible season. 
And that's the one thing that is going to be missing for the most part. We already know these people. They're not going to spend too much time telling us more about them. In fact, Ethan was the kind of person who I think when we say goodbye to him, we don't know what's really transpired in his life over the last 15, 16 years. We know that he battled cancer twice and beat it twice. And I would have liked to have heard more about who he is and what he's been through and even just hanging out on the on the island and 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 watching him interact with people and that those things are lost personally I'm a gameplay person I I li- I like to watch the players who have the most definitive strategy that they can execute it's the reason that Yule is in my top one or two players of all time I just thought that the way that he ran through the game was fascinating and it's part of the reason why I've really been swayed by Sarah who you know maybe despite presentation seems to have a real handle on survivor in a way that most, I think even the win, the other winners and winners at war don't. Don't get me wrong. I love the gameplay too. As you kind of alluded to, I'm a very strategic thinker. I'm always thinking about how you can take something and the different ways that you can use it to your advantage, whether that's a piece of information, whether that's a twist in the game, whatever it is. And I've loved the way that, for example, Yule has played. Yule also has gotten a little bit of a character moment too. Last episode when he did the, he had the string on the stick. And That's right. That is those that was things good. are really good moments for showing you who a person is and making you want to root for them or root against them if they're a villain. Um, but yeah, I do love the the strategic players, and I don't know. I love a lot of different parts of Survivor. I do. It's hard to complain too much because this season has been so great. But there is a tendency with Edge of Extinction, with all the twists, the fire tokens, everything that they have to explain and do that you don't get very much of that character moments because there's just so much else that they have to put into the show. Yeah, I'm personally struggling a little bit with one challenge an episode. I, I don't. I think that one challenge an episode plus a lot of time dedicated to Edge of Extinction is not an ideal survivor execution for me. You want it to have two challenges? I like two challenges, and I don't know if we're going to have two challenges going so are you, forward. So are you a big fan of the challenges? It depends on the challenge. I thought this last one was great. I agree. I think it's been interesting to expose somebody like Rob, who is thought to be a challenge beast, who in some cases has been, but not always. He's not always the greatest challenge competitor. I think we got tricked early in the season when he had that moment where he was pushing people over the rolling log in the ocean, where we were like, man, this guy is just, is he like a Navy SEAL? Like, how is he doing this? He's not indestructible. And we've seen now in two consecutive challenges that he's essentially fallen apart and been unable to accomplish the final task, which is also those are character building moments in their own way and they they the challenges demand reaction from the tribe the the one th- thing that's been holding me back and I know that you and and a lot of our colleagues here are just completely like all in like mind broken about how all in you are on this season the one thing holding me back is there may be too much strategy it may be just too much people wow. saying if I do this then this if I do this then this instead of having to be reactive to the vagaries of the game See, that's where I actually think once we get to episodes that have two challenges, it's going to become really hard to follow because they'll have less time for the strategy. They'll have to cut out even more of the character that's moments. True. I mean, if you had had two challenges in this episode, what do you lose? Do you lose Sandra and Tony catching the shark? You cannot lose that. No, you we can't. have to have it. No, and you so, can't lose Natalie pulling off the scheme to get another, you know, another get another fire token, basically. You can't lose Sarah sneaking into the camp to get the advantage. You yep. can't lose Tony putting the ash on her face. You can't lose any of the strategy uh, for Sele after they lost the immunity challenge before Tribal Council. I just don't know what you lose from this episode if you shove a, a second challenge in there. I have a solution. Two-hour episodes every week. Uh, I, I know were, you said 90 minutes was your dream. 90 minutes feels like it would be great. Two hours is a lot. It's it always lot. the thing that's kept me away, among many other things, but one of the things that has kept me away from the Bachelor series is two-hour episodes. Did you know that like, The Bachelor has gone to three-hour episodes this season? That's just I, shameful. I'm so far out. Shameful. I will never be watching three-hour uh, episodes of anything. No interest. Even Survivor, I'd be like, what the hell? What are they doing? And (laughs) I love Survivor. You're right, though, that 90 minutes would be ideal. 90 minutes and a second challenge, and I think you would still get more character. You would get more experience. You'd get more reactivity than I'm looking for. Anyhow, we're we're trying to improve upon what is already a pretty great season. All right, let's transition to our next segment. This is the Archetype Breakdown. In this segment, we are looking at a way that players play the game and try to win the game. If you are a longtime watcher of Survivor, you are probably familiar with casting archetypes, you know, the way that Survivor will frequently cast, like, a poker player or, uh, you know, somebody from, like, the country or a mom or whatever. This is not really the same thing. The two might be related, but we're looking at how players play the game and try to win. And so our archetype today, I'm calling this the line cook. 
This is the player who tries to have a bunch of different pots on the stove at once. They're trying to play every angle. They're trying to play every person. And the upside is that you can build a lot of strong bonds. You can potentially control the game. Uh, you might be able to blindside people and then keep your alliance and have them not get too upset with you if you are feeding them the right information and you have the right trust with them. The downside is you might come across as two-faced. You might be untrustworthy. You're obviously playing both sides. So the player we're spotlighting is Adam. <sighs> I have I have some issues with Adam. This strategy, so the, I think that the strategy can work. It clearly did not work for Adam in this episode. I don't think that Adam straight up is as good a player as he thinks he is. No. And I think if we, I know you're re, maybe re-watching some seasons. I don't know if you've returned to Gen X versus Millennials. Not this yet. is the season that Adam won. I think it was season 36. And, you know, Adam was a was okay. I thought he was a, a fine winner. I, I don't mean to underestimate his victory by any stretch, but he told a very, fairly compelling story yes. at the end of the of the you know, in the, in the final tribal council. And his mother was dying at the time of his competition. And he famously went to go see her after winning the show and saw her before she passed away. And he had a very emotional story to tell. And it was a pretty moving season of the show in that respect. And he played a pretty good game, but he was he could have been eliminated a number of times throughout his season. And he survived over and over and over again. And I think he may have misinterpreted what his victory means. So from what I recall, I have not rewatched this season recently, but it's also not that old of a season. He, right around the merge, was trying to make a really big move, and it blew up in his face. And from that point on, for a while, he was basically so on the outs. Playing from the bottom. Playing so from the bottom that people didn't really consider him a threat. This is what I recall. And he was able to skate by for a while. And I do recall him having like a few good moves with idle plays or helping somebody else with an idle play. So he didn't do nothing on his season. It's not like he skated into the final tribal council. But he definitely is not the type of player, and we have a few of these on this season, who can dominate a season from wire to wire. And on the other hand, though, he just blew up his game in this episode, and he has experience coming back from that. He knows how to play from the bottom. So it, he might not be, you know, the next person to go home. He actually still could make it very far. He could. I, you know, I think there's something interesting. He and Both he and Jeremy are two of only, I think, five contestants in the history of the show who won by unanimous vote. And I think when you win by a unanimous vote in the final tribal council— you tend to get confidence about your style of play. And you mentioned at the top of the show, the Rob should play more like me edict that he shared with, with the camera. And that just that's just not the case. I mean, it's, it, there's just not a world in which Adam is a better player than Rob. The only thing holding Rob back from truly succeeding is that he's Rob. If it was, if it was Nebraska Bob... Yeah, it, it, he he would be running through the game because he has such a mastery of what to do and how to manipulate people and how to carry himself. Adam has imagined that people will that he'll either be able to snake people or that he'll be able to compel them to understand his vision. And Adam, it just kind of has one of those personalities where you're like, "This guy's a rat." Like he's just a rat. Like there's yeah. it's so obvious that he's a rat. When he was telling Rob, "You know, I have your back a hundred percent," and Rob's just like, "Yeah, hundred percent." It's like. <laughs> He does not have your back, dude. And yeah, he actually did say in a confessional that he wanted to work with Rob. So perhaps he was being truthful there, but it was like, dude, no one's going to believe you. I mean, my perception of that was just that he wanted to work with him for the reasons that we were talking about, which is that to have Rob in front of him helps his game a lot. So let's set this up. Adam began the episode by saying Rob should play more like I am. Boss and Rob feels like he needs to be in control at all times. He won this game because he was in control from start to finish. But this is not Survivor Redemption Island. This is Survivor Winners at War. He needs to adapt and maybe play a little bit more like I am. And then he, throughout the episode, got dunked on by almost every player in the game. Ethan, obviously, as we said. I'm cool with Adam, but you can't come to me telling me you're going to vote off poverty. He knows I'm close to poverty. That was a silly mistake on his part. Rob then also dunked on him. I'm thinking, is this kid crazy? I know he's seen me play on TV. He's seen every episode. He knows everything. I don't play like that. Once Parvati found out, she had the great quote about how much he had messed up. I'm ready to pounce on Adam, devour that guy, and just spit out his bones on edge of extinction. And then Michelle also was like, 
dude, what? It pisses me off that Adam would go scurry on over to Rob and tell him the whole plan to vote poverty and throw me and Jeremy under the bus. So I could absolutely take out Adam tonight. And then we had Denise and Ben, not in confessionals, but they were also like, what is Adam doing? And Denise was supposed to be Adam's tight alliance. They shared the idol together. Adam gave that half of the idol back to Denise, which brings up we actually don't know if Kim has her half of the idol back from Sophie yet. Denise did not vote with Adam, did not tell him what was going on. And so that alliance appears to be at least... I don't really get this. I don't really understand why he didn't bring Denise into his game. Because he could have avoided this by saying, here are the moves I'm thinking of making, let alone the fact that Denise is a good player and could be a good person to talk to and share information with. Yeah. There would have been a way for him to say, maybe Denise could have talked him out of going to Ethan early on, but might have said actually going to Rob could have advantages. And that would have allowed him to have at least kept more control of the game. Because without Denise, the Ben, Michelle, Jeremy vote would not have been meaningful. And Adam essentially scorching his clearest and truest alliance in the fourth episode of this season is nonsensical to me. It's one of the reasons I think that this move was good for the four that made it, is that Adam is now so obviously untrustworthy. He actually wrote down Parvati's name. He didn't know anything about what was happening. And he never really shared that plan with Denise or Ben or anyone until they had already been told about it from Michelle via Rob. It had gotten around to the whole tribe. And it's just like when you're saying, oh, he's a rat. Like, yeah, of course everyone thinks he's a rat because he's going behind his alliance's back to Rob and Ethan. If he's treated like an outcast in the next episode, it'll be interesting because he does have that information that Denise has an idol. Ben also knows that Denise has an idol. But if Adam wants to use that and he wants to somehow align with Boston Rob and Parvati and Michelle and Jeremy, suddenly it would not be that difficult to shift the attention back on another player in the tribe that is not Boston Rob and not Parvati. And again, I cannot get over the fact that Boston Rob and Parvati are still on the show. It's crazy to me. I think it's great. I mean, I think one of the things I actually think we might lose a little bit from having so much strategy and advantages and twists and challenges on the show is that Rob and Parvati are just really likable. People say that and you want to keep around people that you just want to hang around with too. There's something mesmeric about them. Anytime they're talking, people are interested in what they have to say. That's meaningful. I think Rob is interesting because he obviously plays like he's a mob boss, but he doesn't play like an asshole. In fact, I think people really like him. And if he was kind of a dick, then he would be gone by now. But I think because people are so attached to him, they keep him around. I think that there's a frankness that he pursues, even if he seems like he's bristling or a little angry at something. And we saw it in the tribal council. We saw it when Adam tried to insinuate, when he said, there's a statue of you in the game. And Rob's reaction to it was, I thought, very pragmatic. He was like, you're trying to remind people. You said that we don't need any reminders, but we're trying to remind people. And by trying to catch another player in a lie or in some syntactical mistake, somehow Rob seems like the, the on the side of right. You know, you want, you're like, gosh, Rob really just knows what he's doing. He knows how to play this game. And I, I respect that in contrast to someone like Adam, who is just so evidently full of shit. It, it's actually remarkable that at back-to-back tribal councils, Rob has sort of been the foil to Adam. You know, Rob was also like dumb about the idols. And the only person who protested was Adam. And he just came across as very whiny both times. And it's like very tough, which is amazing. Anybody else going up there and being like, Dump out your bags. Let's see who has the idol. Would be a horrible move, but for Rob, it just works. And it works in part because everyone just loves him. You're right. I completely agree. That that should not have worked at all. And somehow it didn't backfire on him at all. It's amazing. Rob is just a, you know, I'm sure hopefully he sticks around forever and you get a chance to talk about him on this show for weeks and weeks. But it's just so great to have him back in our survivor life. He's a really special player in that anyone else who tries to play like him will immediately blow up their game and screw it up. It's kind of like how there are some writers that you just can't, like if anyone ever reads a Brian Phillips piece here at The Ringer, no one should ever try and write like <laughs> Brian Phillips because it will be terrible if you try and imitate that. The same way if you ever go on Survivor, never try to play like Rob plays because there's really just only one person that can do it. I I completely agree with you. And shout out Brian Phillips. Let's do superlatives now. So we're going to wrap up this episode with just some of our highlights and lowlights. Let's start with our best move. Sean, I'll let you go. I thought it was Rob blowing up Adam's vote. Now, this wasn't necessarily the most consequential move of the episode. I think you may point out the most consequential move of the episode. But what I loved about Rob doing this 
is that Rob refused to let the strategy steamroll him. He said, I'm very clearly going to shift the outcome of this game no matter what. And that could have backfired and led to Rob being voted out, and somehow it did not. Miraculously, Michelle and Jeremy made another decision. What I want to see is players who are unafraid to say what they think they need to do, you know? And I thought he did an adequate job of making Adam feel comfortable you know, he, he when Adam revealed his big strategy, he he yesed him and he said, of course. And yeah, we knew he was not really feeling it, but it wasn't until we saw the testimonial when we re- realized just how much, how little respect he has for Adam, which was wonderful. But it, approaching Michelle and Jeremy, as I mentioned earlier, was great television, highly entertaining. Him immediately cutting Michelle's uh, point down about like, should we vote for this person or this person? Which yeah, is we, know that's nonsense. Fake. we know that's fake, <laughs> which was just... <laughs> I don't think I've ever really seen that on the show. I don't think I've ever seen somebody say like, just stop feeding me the bullshit that you you knew you needed to come up with to deflect a conversation with me. And it was kind of a meta moment, but it was also just a great gameplay moment. I, I just, I loved it. He is, he is just this remarkable combination of he can be a battering ram, but he's also somehow precise with it too. It's never yes. messy with him. Yes. Uh, it, it, that was unbelievable. Him just going up to them and being like, all right, I'm going to flip the game on its head now. Because I have to. What was your best move? My best move is Michelle and Jeremy taking control of the game. I know we talked about this a little bit. I just think that having painted Adam as so untrustworthy, or really he painted himself as untrustworthy, and having Rob and Parvati still being kind of these old schoolers that are a little bit on the outs, you cut off one of their key alliance members in Ethan, and they are the biggest targets in the game. You now have a foursome that I can't imagine them ever really realigning right now. They feel pretty solid, and you're in a tribe of seven, so you have to feel very good about that. I think it's a great point. I'm not totally sure how... Like I said, I'm not totally sure how clear this was as a plan or if it's just something that they landed on as an opportunity. I, we didn't see enough conversation about yeah. voting Ethan out. We're presuming that they real that they sense that they can weaken Rob by doing this, that they can weaken Parvati by doing this, and that they can also send a message to Adam by doing this. But no one said that. And without anyone saying it, I'm not as big a fan of Michelle's game as you are. I do like Jeremy's game, but we're not getting a ton of Jeremy's point of view on strategy throughout this. So I don't, and, and Ben, we know, does not really have any strategy. So He was a little better in this episode. He was like, I don't like Rob, but I just have to like stay on the down low. And it was yeah. like, all right, that's a little better. Yeah, he's a unique player. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about him in the future. But it's obviously the move of the game without question. What the intentions were is still a little bit elusive to me. I'm hoping that we really didn't get Jeremy's perspective on this at all. It was all Michelle setting it up, and I'm sure that Jeremy must have been involved. I think that that's the edit a little bit. And I'm hoping that on the next episode, you know, when they go back to camp after Tribal, we might get one of those, oh, okay, last night uh, Ethan went home. Here's what I was thinking, hopefully from Jeremy, to illuminate this a little bit more. Um, Because it's true. I'm picking it as my best move with some assumptions that I'm making about what they were seeing in the game that may not be true. What about worst move? So these are these are I think ours are kind of wet, wetted together. Yeah, and I think we've we've talked about them a little bit. Worst move is Adam telling Boston Rob the plan to vote out Parf. I was skeptical, but kind of willing to see it through when he was telling Ethan, and he was explaining from his point of view very clearly. I want Ethan on my side when this vote goes through. I need people that feel like they can trust me. And I was like, all right, maybe not the best plan. Obviously, Ethan was like, dude, this guy's a dumbass. (laughs) Um, But I was like, all right, I understand it from his perspective. When he went to Rob, I was like, buddy, Danny literally just did this. And it blew up her game and she went home. That was, I just don't understand why People on the island are not seeing that Rob and Parvati are tight. I, I completely agree with you. I think the combination of those two decisions, Adam had just landed on a strategy that I think is a strategy that could work when you're down to like nine people left on the show or 10 people left on the show, where those 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 boundaries of trust are more difficult to ascertain. And you need to figure out what you can share with people without completely exposing your big time gameplay. We're in the earliest stages of the game, and he's playing with fire against two of the greatest players of all time. I mean, it's just, it's, if you look at it objectively, it's ludicrous that he decided to do this. It was odd to me that he was like, now is the time to draw a line in the sand and take out the big target. And it's like, 
Why now? Why not last week? There's 17 people left. Also, you can just do this whenever. Wait until the merge, dude. They're or, also or shortly before it. They're on the short stick tribe. They're on the weak tribe. So making radical moves when you're on the weak tribe, you actually need to be doing the opposite. When you're on the tribe that has fewer people, you need to find a way to keep that unit tight so that when you do merge eventually, that fivesome or foursome or whatever it is when you go into the merge can weirdly be strong and more powerful than you expect it to be. If you start alienating people too soon and you start undermining their alliances, and he undermined not just Rob, not just Parvati, not just Ethan, but Denise as well. Across the board, it was just like kind of a catatonic, just disaster, really. There's a very good chance that if that tribe goes to tribal again, I mean, well, Adam's name will be brought up if they go to tribal We saw in the preview for next week that that there is at least going to be some attempt to eliminate Adam. Yeah, because you can't work with somebody who you don't trust, and he's already made himself untrustworthy to everybody, so why keep him around? Doesn't it's make sense. very rough for him. All right, what's your worst move? I think telling Ethan before the challenge is probably, you know, it, okay. it, 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 they're it's sort of interconnected. Similar, yeah. You know, it revealed that he didn't really have a sense. I don't, I don't think you could point to anybody. You know, I think that there's a case to be made for Yule attempting to get under Sandra's skin. I think it's a little dicey to play a hot game with Sandra, because Sandra's really, really good at this, and she's she is, as we saw her reaction to Tyson, she is fearless in her way of uh, approaching her enemies too. And if she learns that Yule is trying to mess with her, that's a big problem for Yule. And Yule doesn't know how to play an aggressive game like that. He plays a methodical game. Sandra, she makes quick twitch moves. And I've been surprised by how much I like watching her still on the show. You know, there's people hold a, a lot against Sandra because she doesn't really compete in the physical challenges. She's kind of missing yeah. one third of the survivor mantra, but she really compensates for it in a lot of ways by the other way she plays. So you could make a case for Yule, but I'm going with Adam basically in minute two of this episode revealing that he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, that was very rough for him. Let's move on to our front runners to win. This is our last superlative. It is a little bit premature given that this is episode three, and we really have no idea who could be winning this game. So last week I said Sophie. I still think Sophie is well positioned, though obviously we got very, very little of her in this episode, almost none. Um, so I will highlight another player. I will highlight Michelle. And I think that she has a lot to prove this season, as she has said, and she showed in this episode that strategically she can compete. She made it what I think is a at least a good move. I think it's the best move. You're a little more skeptical, but a solid move. She's always been a social first player, but I think showing that she can be a strategic player as well adds a dimension to her game that makes her very dangerous moving forward. Not a fan of Michelle. Okay, let's uh, talk about it. Her reaction to the first vote when she was completely blindsided in the first episode indicated to me that she is a little bit in over her head. Now, I, I don't want to take away from the move that she made in this episode. I don't really like the fact that I didn't get a chance to see how Jeremy feels about any of this because I know Jeremy to be a very good strategic player. Absolutely. And I would not be surprised if he was pulling some strings. Jeremy also currently has... Does he have two advantages at the moment? He has a fire token and he has the safety without power advantage, That's which right. I believe is new. So he can leave a tribal council early, but he can't vote. And probably more importantly... They can't use that advantage like an idol to block a vote where you then have, even if you're shortchanged on the vote, you put them on somebody else. It really only protects him. Interesting. Okay, so I think Jeremy's in a great position to win. I, before the season started, Sophie was my pick. I thought that so. I thought Sophie in a season okay. full of aggressive, iconic players has the right profile. She's very intelligent. She does not seem intimidating, but she has... She's a very savvy player. She's pretty good at relationships. We saw even in the first episode her building those bonds with Yule and other people like that. The outcast, the what were they? The the wild cards? What, uh, uh, I don't the free agents, the, free the lone agents, wolves, the lone something wolves, like that. Right. So I I love your pick there, and I, I think that she's a strong player. And we'll probably have to wait to see if that tribe ever loses a challenge before we can get more screen time for them. The Michelle thing I just don't see. She said it in the episode. I mean, her win is one of the most controversial and doubted wins in Survivor history, I remember being absolutely baffled by her win. I wanted Aubrey to win that season, Of too. course, I did too. I wanted Aubrey to win, but I'm always drawn 
to people who I think are a little bit misunderstood or, or maybe don't get the respect that they deserve. And I think that the conversation after Michelle's win turned to such like, oh, she didn't deserve it, that I then ended up being like, actually, she did deserve it. Like my opinion <laughs> shifted. Because yeah. uh, I think that she played a really great social game in that game. And that's part of it. Like you she have did. to convince the jury to vote for you. That's part of the game. That's what this show does. It, it forces you into fifth dimensional thinking about the game though. Like yeah. Aubrey to me, as I recall, I could be mistaken, but as I recall in that season, a lot of the criticism of her was about how much she had broken down early in the season and wanted to quit the game. And that was held against her. She played from the bottom for a huge portion of that season, yeah. But there was a sense that she was somehow weak and that her weakness meant that she should not be winning. Is that Was that not the case? No, I, I think it was the case. I'm not sure. She was, I mean, Aubrey was the major strategic player on that season, right? And These are the people I'm drawn to. Yeah, and it is. I loved Aubrey too. I was hoping that she would do great. She's obviously returned twice now, so she's been on the show a bunch. I just felt like the conversation became such like so negative toward Michelle that I was like, actually, I think Michelle played a good game. And so, some of me picking Michelle here is self interest in that I picked Michelle to win Winners at War. I felt like a low key social first player who's not a threat is the type of player that could probably win this game uh, in a in a game with so many big targets, so many strategic, very smart players. But Sophie is also the type of player who can do that. And I I would say certainly is more strategic than Michelle. It's such a fascinating aspect of this season. And maybe this is a way to kind of wrap. It's so interesting to me that I'm not even considering the fact that Boston Rob, Parvati, Tyson, Tony, Sandra, these mega personalities, these people on the show who we remember so fondly for being such agents of chaos or charisma machines or just absurd figures in the television landscape, I don't think any of them can win. And maybe that's, as Survivor often does, maybe one of them is going to win. I think that Tyson could win. I think the other three are really in a tough spot, especially Sandra, because think about the way that the game has changed since since she last played it. Mm -hmm. They now have a Final Four fire-making challenge to get into the top three. That's true. I'm not quite sure how good Sandra is or isn't at fire, but I would bet that she's not the best at it. And no one is ever taking her to Final Three. And she's very unlikely to win the immunity challenge to get to Final Three. So I look at her game, if she even makes it to Final Five, that's where I think the road ends for Sandra. She's the one that I'm like, most easily crossing off do not think can win. We'll just have to wait and, and find out. it's unfortunate because it's not really her fault. It's just the rules have changed. The rules have literally changed. It's okay. She's won twice. She'll be okay. Yeah, I she'll think be she'll fine. survive. She'll still have her crown after whether she wins or loses. She's the first two-time winner. She did it in, in two seasons only. She didn't have multiple seasons. So, you know, Sandra is unbelievable. And, you know, we didn't even talk about this. She said she's retiring on this episode. She's done after this season. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, that's I'm how not, I feel I'm too. I'm not so sure. That that feels like a little bit of a Jay-Z retirement to me. You I know? think a lot, yeah, especially if you've been this involved, eventually you'll get the itch again. You'll want to come back. She'll come back like Jordan wearing the 4-5. She'll get some chance. Whoever wins this season, let's assume it's not her, and they'll be like, hey, do you want to go head-to-head against the only like two-time winners? Like you, you can be the captain on a season with newbies or something, and she'll just be like, ah, That's a I great call. You. I love it. Um, All right, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to The Pod Has Spoken. I'm Riley McAtee. The guy with all the smart points on this episode is Sean Fennessy. Steve Allman is our producer. I'll be back here on the Ringer Dish feed next Thursday. See you then. Mm